Sonic Light Podcast. This is Passmaster Moyer calling in with my review of episode 102 entitled Masonic Merchants, Carl Hearn and Nathan Tweedy. First of all, Pete, let me give you a little advice. Leave the baby squirrels alone and let Mother Nature's run its course. I can't believe you spent the, uh, the time and the gas to run that poor little squirrel up to Schuylkill County. So, uh, don't be a dumb shit. Next, next time, let, let, uh, let Mother Nature run its course. I really enjoyed the, the guests, Carl and Nathan, and it was hilarious when you lost Nathan and you lost Pete and you brought the doctor's office music on. That was really entertaining, but it was quite, quite humorous. Dutchie Doug from Broken Plow Lodge number 377. I thought your clam bake story was hilarious. It's unfortunate Brother Schlucker uh, had a reaction to the clams, but uh, I forget the brother's name with, who did the powwow with the ribbon across the throat, but that was a hilarious story. And Brother Cronkite, uh, your story about the water damage at the uh, Lancaster Masonic Center borders on heresy. You might, you might want to back off that for a little bit until uh, the place dries out. And finally, uh, Brother Maris, you really didn't say much in this episode. I can't really pick on you, but I did uh, enjoy when uh, Nathan Tweedy uh, suggested uh, autographed Larry Maris pictures. That surely would be hilarious, and I, w- I surely wouldn't want one. I'll be in touch with you, brothers, uh, after I listen to episode 103, which I believe is going to be posted uh, about a week from now. I'll be in touch. Bye. From the new recording lair located deep beneath the Wine and Spirit Store in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Studio 665 presents Masonic Light Podcast. This show is recorded by Masons, for Masons, and is for entertainment purposes only. And please, no wagering. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. And now, here's your host. Hey, good evening, or good day, everyone. It's uh, episode 103. 103. 103. Wow. 103. Good, good day, sir. Wow. So there we go. Uh, it's very, very exciting. Uh, we have the usual crew with us tonight. Uh, Josh, Jack, Tim, Larry, and myself, Pete. And um, we have a, an interview that we actually did a couple of weeks ago with uh, Heather Calloway, which we're going to we'll get to here in a second. But first thing, let's go around the virtual room here and see what people have been up to. So, uh, Larry, what's oh. going on in your house? I got a mouth full of red licorice right now. <laughs> well, of course. I wasn't you expecting did. to be called on right away. Hey, what's going on in my house? I don't know if this was pre recorded or not, but my wife's messing with my chair and messing with my mind. Mm. Mm. 
this this being home because of this virus has <laughs> gotten to me. Really hit. Have uh, you I been to uh, have you been to your goose and gridiron breakfast? Uh, yes, I had. I went to one not last week, but the week before that. Uh, with uh, none other than Jeff Moyer and Brian Hill, the Brian Hill. And uh, we had a, a nice little turnout. I think there were about 10 people there, and that was about it. And the Masonic table was down on one end, and we were up with the normal table on the other end. Any of you <laughs> Masonic Center employees listening to the show, please don't take offense, but we just don't want to sit with you. <laughs> ah. Who could be offended by that? <laughs> I, I, I just uh, I just don't want to hear about the center. And like I know like our good friend uh, Larry Griffith likes to talk about it. I can't imagine what it would be like with all the board members at the same table. Yeah, and they all like to talk about it. That's just yeah. I'd give you indigestion. So Tim, <laughs> Mr. I- Mr. Indigestion, you've been actually busy doing some auditing and things. What have you been up? What else have you been up to? Yeah. Um, so I've been uh, helping some uh, lodge secretaries and treasurers um, who um, did not use their time wisely during the off season um, to can get, have their audits completed that were supposed to have been read and approved by April. Uh, obviously, we didn't have a meeting in April. Uh, didn't have some didn't have them in March, but. Um, in the cases of a couple, they didn't even have the numbers in yet. So been working with them. Um, some of them are, uh, new secretaries or new treasurers and some that have had some issues that we're trying to resolve. But, uh, anyway, I think we're getting in a good place. And, um, so that's, um, that's that, um, two items that, uh, I want to mention Eureka West Shore Lodge number three and two, um, held its now monthly toast uh, to absent brethren uh, last Thursday. Um, we had about 18 guys show up, so that was pretty good. Uh, we've resorted to doing that monthly uh, since um, Cumberland County t- uh, went from red to yellow, and of course now it's to green, but uh, did that. And then um, we were scheduled to have a District 3 picnic on Saturday, uh, but that was canceled um, because apparently not very many people signed up to come. So the worshipful master from my lodge invited folks to come over to his house and we had our own little picnic. So we've actually had two picnics at uh, Lodge 302 this month um, and um, had a great time. Um, Good fellowship, lots of good uh, food and... uh, it was good to be together. Everybody was uh, practice appropriate social distancing. Good cigars were had by many, and uh, it's all good. Jack, you did some traveling. What, what's, what have you been up to? Well, I, um, I snuck through the border at Massachusetts uh, <laughs> to go to a little town on the, uh, I think they call it the South Beach or South Coast of Boston um, called Situate. It's a beautiful little town. They have a gorgeous little lighthouse, and my son and his lovely fiance were married there on Saturday last week, and it was just gorgeous. It was we had four days of the most perfect weather of all time, and just as the couple gathered to be married, the rain came, <laughs> and, and it rained during their vows, and then as soon as they said "I do," it stopped raining. That's not so, a sign. 
<laughs> it was just absolutely beautiful. The whole thing was great. Um, I did reach out to the lodge up there, but um, they're obviously, you know, shut down for the period. And uh, so I didn't get a chance to visit with any brothers up there. But um, anyway, that was, uh, that was my last week. So now I am completely empty nested. Um, what we have going on at Effort Lodge, though, is our first actual get-together. We're having a picnic this Saturday, which will have been last Saturday when this airs. But we're having a, a, a first gathering of the Lodge members since all of this started. And, of course, social distancing, blah, blah. Uh, but uh, we're looking really forward to that. We haven't been together at all, really, save one brief attempt. But uh, looking forward to that. Getting back, getting back in the saddle. Did you do any uh, kayaking while you were up there? Did not kayak. <laughs> uh, I was, I was considering to uh, what do they call it? Wind sailing, where you get on a surfboard and a, oh God. a, a, a parachute, and you you get like oh, zoomed oh up in the. I uh, yeah, I was I was asked if I wanted to do that, but uh, oh dis- God. discretion is the better part of survival. So I, I, <laughs> maturity, maturity. <laughs> Worshipful Master Josh, what have you been up to? Uh, not all that much uh, different from the last couple episodes. Uh, just doing the uh, the COVID preparations for our meeting, um, and you know, going back and forth with the uh, the other masters and the district deputy and the safety guys and all that kind of stuff. So, sounds like a blast. It's a great time. Here you guys are putting in a pool. Yes. The, uh, <laughs> it's going to be all deep end. <laughs> I've always wanted one of those rain showers. I just didn't know it was the whole third and second floors. <laughs> How bad is the building? Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty uh, pretty bad. Um. I don't know. We're not we're not going to be in the uh, lodge room for probably a while yet. Um, I mean, maybe maybe next meeting, but I, I highly doubt it. I don't think it's uh, it's going to be ready yet. All right, everybody. What have I been up to? Um, I finished up the presentation for the uh, Knights of the Zoroasters, so that's just sitting and waiting to be our next episode. Um. That's it. I should be doing just have been doing a lot of stuff on my own, designing T-shirts for Doberman Rescue and things like that. So just personal crap. Well, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and we will hear from Heather Calloway. She's a former guest. She was the archivist for the House of the Temple. Was that correct, Larry? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but uh, in Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah, but now she's um, at a, at a different library, but she still has lots of great things to tell us. So, listen in. We'll be right back. Why choose George J. Grove and Sons for your next home improvement project? At George J. Grove and Sons, we've built our reputation on quality and trust for more than fifty years. For planning to materials to installation. George J. Grove promises a home improvement experience second to none. Whether your goal is reducing energy costs, decreasing maintenance, updating curb appeal, or simply increasing the value of your home, 
the George J. Grove team will recommend and provide solutions that stand the test of time. Call 717-393-0859 for an estimate or visit us at georgejgrove.com. Our guest tonight is Dr. Heather Calloway, Executive Director of University Collections at Indiana University. Previously, Heather was Museum Curator and Managing Director of the Digital and Social Media at the Scottish Rite Temple in Washington, D.C., and you were there for approximately 14 years. Now, I might add that you are a returning guest and we're so glad to have you back on MLP because we weren't quite sure you'd be willing to return after the last episode we had. <laughs> Welcome back, Heather. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be back and happy to talk to you guys again. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, one of the things I wanted to bring out was, and this is kind of a, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice, a timely topic for today's discussion. What are museums and society's challenges with people judging the past. Oh, wow. You have to start out with, like, the big question. Wow. <laughs> Larry's, on, Larry's on a lot of meds right now. <laughs> oh, poor Larry. We're not sure how long he'll be with us, so we have to get the good questions oh. out quickly. <laughs> that's, well, that's pretty dark. <laughs> so... There's just a lot going on in the museum world right now because, um, you know, art is being looked at in a different way and um, how we collect art and gather it. And um, the way they used to do it in the past is, is no longer appropriate. And it wasn't appropriate back then. That's just what happened. And so now we have to go back and try to put it in context and tell the full story and whether it's the monuments or art or other things that have been um, defaced or damaged, trying to um, put them in context and tell that story. Um, it's also the museum world is, is, is changing because we had moved to a very hands-on experience and everybody was doing interactive things. If you um, ever been to a children's museum in the past few years um everything is something you can touch and something you can engage with and and um very hands-on and with COVID-19 now we've had to go back and and pull ourselves back and look at how we've been um presenting these stories and what we're doing and then how we can make the tell the stories and then um make the guests feel comfortable enough to come and visit us and learn history and the stories um, from us in new ways. And um, what's been really wonderful in our profession that I've seen lately is um, people have jumped online and they've gone digital and they are doing amazing, fantastic things that we didn't have time for in the past or would get ignored or looked over because everything was about being in person and being 
being at the museum. Well, now museums are looking at their collections and they're taking them out and they're saying, how can we show the collections to everybody all over the world? And how can we digitize this photograph or this painting or this object and um, tell its story? And that's really wonderful opportunity for museums because so many things are never ever ever on display and so this way we can we can tell all kinds of stories whether it's on a blog or a VR experience or just a virtual tour online so so that's kind of one of the things that I would say that's changing in in our profession Larry you don't have a (laughs) follow-up So, so Heather, um, now you were obviously you were not at the Scottish Rape Museum. Um, you had already moved on to your new position when the uh, the Albert Pike statue was defaced. Um, now, knowing some of the history, and we asked, um, I guess, last last episode about this as well. So, you know, what is your kind of like opinion and your take on somebody like Albert Pike? <laughs> I always get asked about him, and I I try to remind everybody I am not a scholar of Albert Pike. So, Art DeHoyas, my colleague from the um, Scottish Rite Southern Jurisdiction Supreme Council, he is the expert in that. And he knows and has worked with all of Albert Pike's texts, all his manuscripts. He's rewritten, taken all of his manuscripts and transcribed them. And then he's put his own forward explaining to the common, normal person what Albert Pike is trying to say. So I was fortunate, and I told you before in my last interview, um, I was really fortunate that when I started my career, um, one of the librarians at the House of the Temple taught me how to catalog books, and I got to work with the Albert Pike books. And this was his personal library, and it was the first public library open in the District of Columbia. And so all of these books were so wonderful because they he put handwritten notes in all the sides, like in the margins, wherever he could write in these books, there were little things written and his handwriting is super hard to read, but I absolutely loved that. And I look back now and it's been almost 20 years and this woman taught me how to catalog books, which I had never done before. I wasn't a professional librarian yet. And she taught me with these rare books that I had to do original cataloging with. And for people that don't know what that means, cataloging is a difficult thing. And what most people do nowadays is they go online and there's a database with every book there ever is. And um, you go in there and you find the book, you, you can just type in its title and you pull it up and say you put morals and dogma and you pull it up and there it is, Albert Pike, morals and dogma. And it can pre-populate all the fields with whatever the the normal morals and dogma and the publication date and the city and things like that. And if it's not the right volume or edition, you can tweak it or you can look and there might be a list of, say, there's been 20 of those volumes. You can look through and you pick the right one and you just click it and then it saves, there's your book catalog. Well, a lot of Albert Pike's books were rare and unique and original. And so if we were cataloging, 
you could put a title in and there's no record of that anywhere in any library. So when there, when you have a book like that, original cataloging means that I had to fill in all the fields, which means I actually got to learn how to catalog the way that they used to do back in the day. They didn't used to have this system where all the libraries were connected and you could see all these books and it was already done for you and you just clicked a button. So to me, it was really... I'm fortunate that I got to work with his books um, and that I got to work on his um, the redo of his museum gallery there in um, Washington, D.C. Um, I'm, it's unfortunate that the um, statue and monument had happened what, what happened, um, but it also was in a location that was inappropriate, and um, you couldn't tell it the context of the story of him in that location. And so um, really, if you want to learn about the amazing things that he did for American society, going to the Southern jurisdiction and visiting for a tour, or especially sitting down with Art de Hoyas, that's how you're going to learn um, who that person really is. A lot of monuments I see around and I'm like, I don't know who the heck that is. And I don't know what they did. So putting it in the context where you can teach the history, I think is super important in this day and age. So you mentioned that um, because of COVID and uh, just, you know, the current situation that we find ourselves in that museums have had to adapt. Um, what are the kinds of things that you see going forward that, um, you know, you mentioned some of the online stuff, um, and, the, and, and you also mentioned that formerly, you know, you'd move to a very much a hands-on or tactile experience for particularly in children's work. How do you see that? What, what kind of future do you see in museums and in collections and, you know, that type of thing? Oh, sure. So I think that this gives us the opportunity to, figure out other ways that we can engage new audiences. So I think when you come to a museum, we're going to figure out ways that you can utilize your own device or borrow one temporarily so that you can engage with the objects around, say you have a art gallery, for instance, um, you can um, click on something on your phone and then you can look at how things are, um, like you want to read more about some sort of um, artist or what kind of painting this is um, right now, every we had been, we in the you know past several years, we had been doing all these things where you touch stuff. Well, people aren't going to be feel comfortable touching things for a while, but they might feel comfortable touching their own phone. So if you can get them to put an app on there really quickly or borrow something that's cleaned over and over and over, um, you know, if someone can't, doesn't have a device, you can lend them, say, an iPad or, or something like that, and then they can walk around and engage with things that way. So really, I think what this is going to do for collections is finally provide us the time and the emphasis to focus on digitizing all those things that we have in the closets, in the attics, in the basements, all over the shelves. We have all these amazing stories and artifacts that never get to come out to the gallery. So really, I think people are going to be engaging with museums in new ways via social media, via um, augmented and virtual reality. Um, 
I just think that's that's going to be the safe way for now. Just and just as a follow up, you mentioned earlier context and the importance of context in looking at any item. Um, does that also provide you with an opportunity as a curator or collector to provide that context in new and different ways? Oh, absolutely. And we've seen it everywhere. People want to know, they want to know the story. They want to know the backstory and you can also do it at different levels. So if you're, if you're trying to tell a school kid's story, you know, right now schools don't have, and let's think pre COVID for a minute here, schools already didn't have the money to take their kids on field trips. Mm -hmm. So Already, these kids were, the teachers were trying to figure out, how can I engage with the museum down the street without taking the kids down there? And so museum educators had really worked on figuring out ways that they could either give the teacher something to work with in the classroom or a combination of things on the web and handouts and things that the teacher could have in the classroom. And so I think this is great because we can have the same story, say we have the American Revolution, we can have it for an eight-year-old, we can have it for a teenager, and then we can have like all the stuff for all the adults. You know, people are really into Hamilton right now. So, you know, this would be a great time for museums that talk about that kind of history to really talk about, um, you know, some of these founding fathers had slaves. What was that like? Why did they do it? You know, they could really go into details of those stories and then if somebody was just wanting to see, oh, I just want to see the cool artifacts, they could click through those and just see those. But if somebody really wanted to get into the meat of the history, we could really provide a lot of extra additional context to that story. So I only think it's a, a great opportunity for us as museum professionals. <laughs> I, I think it's a, a good opportunity with the, you know, one of the, the, the things that us people of my age, you know, we got a little bit of it, but I think today they get very little of the critical thinking. And, you know, if you could present something and then you could also maybe have two or three, you could click on two or three different opinions. So you could have, let somebody make up their own mind. You can have one that covers just the highlights of the history, but then you could have another commentator talk about, you know, the, the controversies and the dark sides and things like that. Oh, sure. And I think that's, that's something that hasn't been done in the past as often as it should have been. And um, it would be a great way for, to tell, you know, political and religious. And there's so many, so many different stories that that lends itself really well to, to tell each side so that people could, could learn the full history. Heather, do you think that, uh, People will be reluctant to donate items to the museum based on a little bit of fear as to what people would think of the history. Or, in other words, do you think there's going to be a reluctance there to give anything to the museums? Wow, that's a good question. I hadn't thought of that. Um, I so far I've been doing this about twenty years, and I have never had a lull in people trying to donate things to us. So, um, so, so I, I still haven't seen a, I still have not seen it slow down. So maybe if it was like a controversial um, subject matter or something they, they would think might be seen as that, but 
as curators and museum professionals and directors, one of the things that we do is we, you know, if if we're approached by um, a potential donor, and they say, "I have this X Y Z thing," and it doesn't fit our mission statement and our collections policy, then we try. You know, we don't just tell them no. You know, I don't want that thing. We try to connect them with, you know, some sort of other options, like maybe you should check, and then we give them, you know, two, three, four different other options for other museums or collections or universities that would be interested in that kind of thing. Um, I never, when I was working at the Scottish Rite, I never sent people away saying, I don't want that. I would say, you know, we collect Masonic and fraternal things, but um, if you have some Virginia history, here's some, you know, places that collect Virginia history or Maryland history or whatever. So sometimes the people, they're just totally unaware of what we do and they think, oh, this, they, they would love this. And so in our world, we really try to connect them with the most appropriate places that might be interested in their artifacts. So, in other, so I, I still think people are going to donate. So in other words, though, if I have a statue of, of Ferdinand de Soto in my basement, I want to get rid of it. That might not be a good idea to do it. I might feel badly about that. And that, that's kind of why I aimed that question at you. Oh, are they going to? Walked in because they have something like that. Because Ferdinand, he was not nasty. He was not a nice guy. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess there's some things that people would be embarrassed about, but you know, honestly, <laughs> honestly, Larry, I, where did you pull Ferdinand De Soto out? Yeah, I was going to say. I've been asked everything you can imagine so i can't imagine people being that embarrassed so so what yeah. is the most uh, in your years as a uh, museum professional what uh, have you seen as the most exciting part the thing you've learned and grown the most with oh wow um i always like finding something in the collection that you didn't know you had. So, and I don't remember what stories I told you guys the last time, but, you know, I worked with Federal Lodge Number 1 in Washington, D.C., and came over to help them go through these buckets. And we found thing after thing after thing that was a historic American object, an artifact, and it just kept coming. And so for me, finding these treasures that you don't realize you had because basically you know things have been donated to museums across america for hundreds of years now and staffs changed and the way we do the way we organize collections has changed and the way we're trained to do this so um you know when we were finding you know we found george washington's bible and we found james hoban's um gavel and we found all of these things with that have to do with Washington DC history and American history and they were all in these old plastic tubs that you keep up in your attic with a bunch of Christmas balls in them and so it was just like wow and so still to this day when I find new things or come across a new collection you know I told I was talking earlier about 
coming here to Indiana University, they they told me, oh, we have about 50 collections. And I was like, great, that's a ton. This is going to be amazing. And then I put a call out and I started like doing research with my assistant and we started looking and we just found hundreds of collections here that we didn't know we had. And so that is my most exciting thing because I find this thing that there's, you know, however many people working with it and they absolutely are just as passionate as the next about their subject and about whatever it is they collect and they're doing research and they're teaching people with it. And so for me, finding that those pieces, those treasures, those hidden gems within a collection um, that tell the story um, that's, that's what makes it exciting for me. It's awesome. How about we uh, take a break and then we'll come back with Heather and kind of finish things up, let her go on her way. So let's take a break right now. At the historic Smithton Inn of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, we're pleased to serve the latest creations from Weathered Vineyard Winery, along with spirits from Thistle Finch Distillery in Lancaster. All to be experienced in the tasting room of a beautifully restored 18th century bed and breakfast. Cigars by DNS Cigar are available for your enjoyment in the courtyard. The historic Smithton Inn is convenient to Lancaster County's most interesting attractions. Just minutes from the Ephrata Cloister and the Green Dragon Farmer's Market. And a short drive can get you to charming Lidditz, thriving downtown Lancaster, as well as Hershey, Bird in Hand, and Intercourse. Or Valley Forge. Gettysburg. Whether you're looking for a romantic getaway or an active vacation full of sightseeing and attractions, the historic Smithton Inn will be a welcoming oasis from everyday life, one that you'll want to visit again and again. Stop in and visit at 900 West Main Street in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, or check out our website at historicsmithtoninn.com, or simply call us at 717-733-6094. Just ask for Past Master Dave. And we're back with uh, Heather Calloway. Heather, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, you want to tell us anything that might be uh, in, in the future that you're working on that might want to cause guys like us to come out to Indiana to see these collections? Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> so have you guys heard of the Rathbone Museum? Yes. I have, and I heard that Seth is making an appearance there this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, supposedly he's coming. So we have been working with the Rathbone Museum for the past five years, and um, both Seth and I, as well as Mark Tabert and several others, are on the board of directors there. And Ken Motor is the um, the guy that started this thing. He's the brainchild. And he started collecting, um, he's a Knights of Pythias member. He's a Mason, but he's <clears throat> in several other fraternal groups. And he has collected an amazing amount of stuff. And I can't tell you um, how many things, <clears throat> excuse me, that he has, because it's just that fabulous. So we have been working with him to get help him organize his collections and decide how to um, better manage it um, just because he was just a, a collector and not a museum professional or anything like that. And so basically we've been um, working with him to 
figure out how to best care for this collection. So it's located in Lafayette, Indiana, and um, it's about two hours from where I live here. So I was there two weekends ago with Mark Tabbert, and we were just helping him. We went through all his books and helped organize because he's he's received all these additional donations and stuff. So just trying to go through and see what he has and better better organize it. Um, and we're going to go back this weekend and work with artifacts. Um, and honestly, I can't tell you a more fascinating collection than this Rathbone Museum and Research Center, which again is in Lafayette, Indiana. And um, I have had nothing but fun when I go up there and work with them. And, you know, I started, I, I moved out of the Masonic world into higher ed, um, but I still spend all of my free time working with um, fraternal type objects and preserving the history of those. So, so it's pretty exciting. Wow. It sounds fun. Now, is there, is there a legitimate like museum that's open to the public or is it mostly online? No, he has an actual physical museum. So if you go to Lafayette, um, probably right now, just because of the pandemic, you'd need to contact him. But um, he normally has um, open hours and you can go by and um, they will show you around or you can do research. He's got every book, every ritual, every single thing. So basically our mission is to collect everything fraternal that we can find in America and from every type of group. So we don't specifically focus on one group or another, but we try to collect something from everything. And um, he really has. So um, it's, it's really an unbelievable um, place. And he has every kind of artifact you, can, you could envision. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. We'll make yeah. sure we put a link to the museum in our uh, in the show notes when we uh, when we publish this. Sounds good. Yeah, definitely. So so basically, I've been doing two different things. So we have the Rathbone Museum that we've been helping, and that's Ken Motor and his collection there um, that you can you can visit in Lafayette. Um, but about five years ago as well, we started this Historical Society for American Fraternalism. And this again was Mark Tabbert and Seth, Anthony and myself. And um, we just were sitting around at Masonic events and talking about how we thought it would be really great if all the other fraternal groups stuff was also preserved because at the time we were all working at Masonic places. And, you know, I was at the Scottish Rite and Mark was at the Memorial and um, Seth was up in Pennsylvania with the Grand Lodge and, and all of us were working in Freemasonry, but we saw this history disappearing and we really wanted to capture that <clears throat> history of, you know, whether it's the Woodmen or the Oddfellows or any of these other groups and, um, I'm really big with my um, sorority and so Greek letter societies and things like that. So um, making sure that especially those groups that had disappeared over the years, that we're still able to capture that history and things about that history so we can tell the American story. That's, am that's really amazing. Well, Heather, I do thank you for coming on our show. 
And uh, now you've got a busy schedule to attend to. And you have a family at home, too. And we want to keep you anymore. And thank you for coming on. And I just have one question. Okay. What, did you like the scarf and the book that Pete and I sent you? You guys never sent me a book or a scarf. <laughs> I left it up to Larry. He dropped the ball. No, I gave you the book and signed it and so forth. So I didn't drop the ball. It's over in your house somewhere. I well, think those, those Dobermans probably ate it. Well, Pete has now <laughs> well, become the resident expert on mailing. He knows everything. He's got contacts at the post office. This guy has done an incredible mailing job. So I am sure that he, uh, Pete and myself, can collectively get this together for you. Well, Speaking yeah. of Indiana, I've got 600 jewels coming tomorrow from the Masters uh, – with the, the master's craft in, in, in the, yeah, he's in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'll make sure I get your book and I'll, I'll give you one of our, our beautiful quarantine jewels as well. Well, that would be cool. I seen you've been posting pictures of all these jewels that you're sending all over, but you still haven't sent me my lousy scarf. <laughs> <laughs> it's, wow. the, it, it's in the mail. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And the book. Yeah, that's in the, the, book, that. the book's in my basement somewhere. I'll see where I can. I'll see what I can do. I think those dogs I'll, I'll, well, I have copy number one that Larry gave me. I'll just cross my name off and, and sign it over to you. <laughs> Heather, it's been a delight having you on, and we hope we can have you on again. And thank you so much for appearing on the show. Okay, thank you guys. Take care, kiddo. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, you just heard from Heather Calloway. Thank you, Heather, for the uh, for the great interview. You're always a great guest. And Tim, who who makes our show possible? Well, Pete, the people that really keep uh, the lights on are our patrons. Um, in fact, I think uh, we've had a, a pretty substantial increase in our patron supporters recently. Um, I think we're up to like 32 now. Is that correct? 32 with one international. Okay. Um, so that's, that's, and I, I have to like text him and ask him how to say his name. Cause I'm sure I'll screw it up. Okay. Well, maybe uh, is, that our, is that our friend Simon? No, no, he's, I, I, I can say Simon, but <laughs> I was wondering, you know, cause he, you know, he's English, which I speak. I was but, going for the, I was going for the last name. <laughs> Very cool. It's the most English name ever. Absolutely. Um, so maybe on an upcoming episode, we'll uh, announce our. We're going to reach out to Superfan Simon, yes. Superfan, and um, do that. But anyway, uh, we would love to have you uh, uh, join in support of our show. Uh, you can go to www.patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com slash Masonic Light Podcast. And for as little as $1 per month. One dollar. One dollar. One dollar. Four quarters. You can keep great content like this um, and like the episode you've uh, been listening to with Heather. Uh, you can help pay the rent for the studio we haven't seen in three months. <laughs> exactly. Actually, it's been more than three. We haven't been there since when? First week of March? Is there is there a federal bonus to that or something? I don't know. We did, we you know we didn't apply for uh, any funding since we were since we have no funds. 
But as but anyway, as we really appreciate our uh, patron supporters, and uh, uh, we 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 really do. So thank you very much. And as a bonus, I don't know whether this is a bonus or not, but um, all of our patreons are going to get to see Knights of the Zoroasters one week early. So you can. Uh, Ooh. Wow. Ah. I'm we're, glad we're, I'm we're trusting you not to um, burn bootlegs and sell them at a. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I got a board copy. Hey, man, I've seen it. I got it right here, man. Just make sure you have guys walking up and have the camera at like a 45 degree angle. <laughs> oh. So, will they receive an email from us uh, letting them know that's available? Yeah, they'll get a link. Um, I can send emails to just the Patreon. So even yeah. if you're a $1 patron, you'll get the link a week early and you get to watch us be fools or hear us or yeah, I guess both. In Masonic News Today, Australian news outlets reported this week that Qantas Airlines employees covered the engines of idled aircraft with covers displaying Masonic symbols. Exciting yet another round of conspiracy theories and rumors of dark secrets. A spokesman for Qantas was reported to have said, there are no Masonic secrets here. We just had a couple knuckleheads with some extra caution tape and way too much time on their hands. David Illingsworth and Steve Austin were not available for comment as they are believed to be on the run right now. <laughs> That's the Masonic news. So much work. Is uh, Qantas still accident-free? We could claim them, you know, say, you know, it's a Masonic thing. Yeah. Uh, we, could, we could charge them for a plug after that. <laughs> as an advertiser, right. Exactly. So, um, what is a... Char- what does anybody have coming up? We'll start with you, Jack. Um, what do you have coming up in your well, world? Well, got the picnic, the lodge picnic coming up, and I got an AMD meeting on Sunday, I think, right? Yeah, that's correct. So we're all going to be in a, a, a small space, breathing each other's air. But it's okay. We're going to have nachos, so then we can't get the corona. There it is. There it is. We're safe. The Sonic nachos. Ja- um, Larry. I forgot your name. Larry. <laughs> are you... Are you- <laughs> Are you doing anything except trying to get out of that chair? <laughs> well, no, I, actually, the uh, blind people are coming. Not that they're blind. The, the, uh, <laughs> the people, that blind. Association? people that hang blinds are coming tomorrow. Was, uh, uh, they When they put the original blinds up, they carol ordered. They kind of got crooked. So they're coming to replace the blinds. That's tomorrow morning, so... I'm not, I don't want to be here. I'm going probably over to uh, uh, the public house and have breakfast with uh, the guys from the Masonic Center. <laughs> That's my biggie tomorrow. Oh, Josh, what do you have going on? Uh, we just got this uh, this meeting coming up. I guess it'll be, I guess, the day after this episode comes out. Uh, and that's about it. Tim, you always have stuff going on, and you know about things all throughout the district, but what do you have going on? So, um, actually, this is one of those occasions where uh, my stated meeting and Josh's stated meeting um, overlap. On uh, Tuesday, September the 8th, 
Um, day after Labor Day, Eureka West Shore Lodge will hold its stated meeting. <clears throat> we are limited to 25 people, including the officers in the lodge room. So um, the Worshipful Master has asked that no visitors attend this meeting, but uh, we are going to have a meeting. And then on the 16th, we will uh, confer two fellow craft degrees. Um, we didn't mention this earlier, but the uh, Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania has put a moratorium on Master Mason degrees until further notice. So um, <clears throat> we, we've all, we will also be, by the way, opening our stated meeting in the Entered Apprentice degree um, by edict of the uh, Grand Master. So, uh, and then th for the last time that you'll get to hear me mention this on Sunday, uh, September 13th in, uh, at the Valley of Harrisburg, uh, it will be their uh, pig roast and cigar smoker beginning at one o'clock. Tickets are available for $25 each. You can get those at valleyofharrisburg.org and click on Valley Links and you can get your ticket there. Look forward to seeing some folks. If you're there, come up and see us. I know uh, the, several from the show will be there. So, so for, for me, me let's ooh, Yes, Lord. Lord. <laughs> hey, I don't know who to blame the Echo on, but I'm going to guess Larry. <laughs> That's Carol. What are you doing, Larry? Sorry, Carol. I'm reading Freemason Magazine. I just thought <laughs> I'd bring up. Go ahead. All right. So um, we'll be, I'll be getting the episode 104 ready because um, we're going to re release that a week early. That's going to be the Knights of the Zoroasters, another <laughs> illustrated debacle. Um, so you, if you want to go, if you would like a commemorative pin, they are $5, and for every one you spend, we are going to send that $5 to the Demolin Museum. Um, but we're not going to really lose money because uh, I can send them with a first-class stamp, and I, the site automatically charges you $5 for shipping. So that covers our cost for the pin, and any money goes to the museum. If for some reason you really like our design... You'll be able to go onto the link. There's a, there'll be a link in the description of this episode for a t-shirt. Um, but it'll be under uh, customink.com slash fundraisers slash Zoroasters. And you can buy a t-shirt and all proceeds from that shirt will go to us. Just to us. So To, to us meaning the podcast, not to us personally to go to the grocery store with, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I've been busy hanging up uh, soundproofing material in the uh, in the room and uh, things yeah, like that. Tell about that uh, fiasco. Well, what part of it? Well, the packing piece. Oh, so yeah, the I got I ordered I think two hundred of these squares. They're at one foot by one foot, and I got this very small package. We don't even that didn't sound good. Um, I got this package in the mail and it was pretty tiny but heavy and I made the mistake of cutting into it and opening it. Well, apparently all 200 of these things were uh, compressed. Vacuum sealed. <laughs> yeah, so they just started shooting all over my house like... Like, <laughs> like Nerf tiles. Yeah, so uh, luckily that was only like a, a quarter of them. So um, the rest of them I took to the studio and I opened them up there because you need to let them open for 48 hours before you hang them. 
Uh, so that's that's what that's going on, and I don't know. I guess that's it. Uh, Larry, yeah. can you Time stop eating for a second and uh, do our thing? Um, yeah. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you're the chickens. Empty your crop. <clears throat> no music tonight. What music? Hey, special thanks to. Everlodge665 for continuing to take care of our studio. It's a little bit too since the beginning of March. But thank you, Everett, because I know you're doing an outstanding job. And we have no reports of floods, which is good. Thanks to Josh Lamberton, producer and director, who always makes our show listenable. Jack Harley, our news director, and Tim Dedman. Our marketing director, thanks to both of these guys for doing all the work you do. To our Masonic Light contributors, Michelle Snyder. Hey, Michelle, you're listening to this podcast. We need some stuff from you. Tim Stevens, Doug Maddenford, all great contributors. I'm going to close with one thing tonight. And I got this from a brother in Trondheim, Norway, St. Andrew's Lodge. His name is Lars Holstead. He said, all Masons never die, but you'll have to join to find out why. This is Larry Mara saying thanks for listening and have a good day. What? <laughs> what? I'm just, Bye, I'm, just glad that, I'm just glad that the music ended at the appropriate time, so yeah, I'm, right. I'll call it a success. Just crickets. We need, we need a cricket sound. We need a sound effect of crickets. Right. All right. Josh will have to do that in post. Josh, do it. Good night, everybody. everybody. Good night. Bye, Good night. everybody.